You're listening to Audio Apocrypha, Season 1, The American Cult Tapes, written and directed by Patrick Hoagland, starring Amanda Berry and Johnny LaQuasto. In the Pines, featuring Joel Stigliano as George Clayton and Craig Roberts as John Earl. South, Newark, Baltimore. Hate toll plazas. Can always feel the eyes behind the cameras, watching. Flinch when the cameras flash, taking a picture of the license plate. That's how they find you. Can't be helped. Too dangerous to take the back roads. Car in the other lane. Can't see inside. Gas pedal. 65. 70. 75. Eighty. Eighty-five. It's gone. Turn the radio on? No. Never turn the radio on. Stupid. Stupid. Don't be stupid. You'll hear them. And they will know. Road work ahead. Lane closed. Sitting in traffic, tapping the steering wheel, looking around, behind. Mercedes. Too new. Not them. Could be them. It isn't. Sunrise. More dangerous soon. I shouldn't have come this way. No choice. Too close in Boston. Had to get out. Fredericksburg. Chancellorsville. No more toll plazas. 81 will be safer. Eyes tired. Itchy. Leg hurts. Summer is the worst. Long days in the car. Gaslight. Need to stop. Somewhere out of the way. Little gas station. Camera inside looks broken. Energy drinks. Might help. Phone cords, auto light spark plugs, hair dye, rain poncho. Things from a different millennium. Back in time. Good way to escape. Not far enough back. Still not safe. Only one pump works. It pumps too slow, makes loud noises. Roanoke, Johnson City, Knoxville. No welcome to Georgia sign. Good sign. Long way around Atlanta. Confuse them. Lose them. It's finally dark. Chattahoochee River. Too obvious to stop here. Keep going. Johnson's Trace Motel. They take cash. $49.99 for the night. Room smells like cigarettes. Don't turn the lights on. Curtains already drawn, less suspicious. Blanket and pillow on the floor between the bed and the wall. Far from the window. Don't bolt the door. Won't be able to escape fast enough if they come through the window. 
grip the railroad spike tightly. Easier to fall asleep holding it. Recorded August 19th, 1983. Macon, Georgia. Are you sure it's alright if I record? Yeah, yeah, it's alright. Can you tell me more about what happened in 1979? You must have read the papers, right? Tell you heard about it? They made the times, but there weren't many details. Alright, where do you want me to start? Start with your impression of Mr. Clark. Uh, yeah, he worked for me cutting trees since uh, 76 on and off, you know, um, seasonal. We never talked to him too much, but he seemed like a decent fella. Always got his work done, never showed up drunk. It's more like it's ever some, of course. Even the drunk ones never killed nobody. So you never noticed anything odd about him? Like I said, never talked to him much. He seemed pretty normal, as far as I could tell. Can you describe what you saw on June 6th? Uh, yeah, you, you probably heard I was the one that found him, well, uh, I come in about nine in the morning, the boys usually start around seven, but they, they don't need me to be there. At first, I didn't notice nothing, but I was pouring some coffee, and I realized I didn't hear no saws going, so I, I got back in my truck and I drove on down the clear cut. I, I didn't see nothing right away, because they was all on the other side of the pile, and their trucks was all parked back in the trailers, though, so I, I went looking. They... Um, it, it was all behind the wood pile in, the, uh, in the pieces. It's all right. Take your time. They didn't even realize what I was seeing. At first, they was chopped up so little. He'd pile them up, see? Bet you didn't get that in the papers. There was blood everywhere. Then I, uh, I saw Logan's head sticking out in the side. His eyes were still open, staring at me. I, I'd never run so fast in my life. Called call the police from the gas station down the road. At the time, I, I didn't know who done it or if they still around. When did you find out? Later that day. They was sorting out all the pieces. Took them hours to figure out who's actually dead. Sheriff Earl asked me who all was supposed to be there that morning, and he told me it was just Jimmy who wasn't there. Did you know he went back to his trailer right after? When they came to get him, he, he was sitting on his couch drinking beer, watching TV, still covered in blood. Really strains the mind, don't it? Shit. Didn't try to run, just waited there all day for him to come get him. Shit. Thank you, Mr. Clayton. This has been very helpful. Don't know what you're trying to dig up here. Ain't no mystery he done it. Do you know where I can find Sheriff Earl? Uh, well, he, he retired later that year. I think maybe he moved out to Savannah. Laura at the station would know better than me. Thank you again, Mr. Clayton. Yeah, uh, yeah. Glad I was able to help, uh, I guess. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is shaping up to be a fine day here in beautiful central Georgia. 
yesterday, Willie Horton hit his 300th career home run against the Detroit Tigers. More sports in a moment, but first, breaking news about a grisly multiple murder at a tree farm outside of Macon. Little girl, little girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? In the pines, in the pines, where the sun never shines. You shiver. sign of them. The first day is always the most dangerous. Battered road atlas, fingers tracing, can hide in a city, can't hide in traffic, drag you from your car, carry you away. Don't get caught. Keep moving. I-20 is good. Enough exits, no tolls. They are watching everywhere. Be fast, unpredictable, only way. Don't get caught. Engine coughs when it starts. No time. 
Sun coming up. 2282, Tuscaloosa. Welcome to Mississippi. Knew there would be a sign. Road is loud. Roll down the window. Air is thick. Dripping. Vicksburg, Mississippi River. Louisiana is green. Not too many cars. Mostly trucks. Trucks are good. Exit 93. Shudrant. Sibley. This is the one. Easier to spot strangers in small towns. Only they aren't always strangers. Recorded August 24th, 1983. Savannah, Georgia. Mr. Earl? You can call me John. All right. I spoke to George Clayton last week about the murders at his tree farm in 79, and I was hoping you could fill in some more of the blanks for me. I doubt it. More than 30 years on the force, and i never seen anything like it. You know, I knew Jimmy Clark since he was 10 years old. He used to go fishing with his Uncle Roy. You have no idea why he did it? Nope. As far as I know, he never spoke again. Not even to enter a plea or talk to a lawyer. Not that that would have made much of a difference. Mute till the day they strapped him into the chair. What do you know about the victims? Hell, what don't I know? Knowed most of them since they were boys, just the same as Jimmy. Any reason you could think of he'd want to kill them? I told you, I have no idea. As far as anyone knew, they all got along fine. Six of them even went out for a drink the night before. And before you ask, no, no one at the bar saw or heard anything out of the ordinary. What about Logan Marsh? What about him? What do you know about him? Well, he was a good kid. Bit of a football star when he was in high school. His old man was a state senator up in Atlanta. Ran some kind of state education committee. I met him a couple of times. I'd like to talk to him. Any idea where he is now? I'm afraid you're out of luck. He drove his car into the river and drowned a couple of months after the murders. An accident? Well, what else? When we pulled the car out of the river, we found an empty bottle of whiskey and enough pills to sedate a draft horse. Can't say I blame the guy losing his son like that. Is there anything else you could tell me? Any thoughts or suspicions that didn't make it into the files? Well, now, actually, there is one thing that has always bothered me. When I talked to Jimmy's family after we arrested him, they mentioned that he'd gone missing for a couple of months in 75. You have to understand, he was always doing odd jobs somewhere or another. It wasn't that unusual for him to be out of town for a while, driving a truck or working in a warehouse. Never did seem to be able to hold down one job for long. You know the type. Anyways, his family reckons he met a girl or something, and it didn't end well. Might explain why no one heard from him, and why he never talked about it. When exactly was this? Fall of 75. Can't remember the dates. Mind ain't what it used to be, you understand. That's all right. You've been extremely helpful, Mr. Earl. You want a piece of advice? Don't spend too much time thinking about this stuff or it'll eat you alive. I'll remember that.
June 6th, 1979. Jim Clark, by all accounts an unremarkable 26-year-old man, kills all seven of his co-workers just moments after showing up for work. He is waiting in his trailer when the police come to arrest him, and he never speaks again for the rest of his life, which ends when he's executed in October of 1981. It doesn't make any sense. Why did he kill them? There was no motive. Where did he go in the fall of 75? Something else is bothering me. There's a picture from the crime scene I can't get out of my mind. There's a battery-operated radio sitting on a pile of wood. Right next to it is the axe that Jim Clark used to kill his co-workers. The radio dial is covered in blood, like he used it after he killed them. Nobody mentions the radio, and it isn't logged along with the rest of the evidence in the court records. It only appears in this one picture. So, what? He murders seven men in cold blood, three with a chainsaw and four with an axe. He dismembers the bodies and piles them up. Then he walks over to the woodpile and sets his axe down to use the radio. Did he turn it off or turn it on? 